Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Hmm. So, thank you, Jesus. That you, you were that lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Mm. And thank you that you're a savior. whose love was stronger than death. Death could not hold you. And thank you that you're a king that is coming soon. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, come, Lord. Hmm. Let your kingdom come right here among us for your glory. Amen. So, this year, I'm committed to teaching through all of the feasts of the Lord. And I think uh, <clears throat> it's important that we understand that when the Lord gave these feasts to his people, he said, these are the feasts of the Lord. They're, we often think of them as the feasts of Israel, but, but they are the feasts of the Lord. And, and something that hit me as as I w have been studying the last couple three weeks or so on Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. Uh, virtually every time there was a revival in the Old Testament, it was kicked off with the celebration of Passover. Uh, a leader would would find the law many times dusty, dust it off, read it, and discover, wow, we're, we're supposed to be doing this. Why are we not doing this? And many times the king would call the nation together and, and they would celebrate Passover. And after that they would go out and they would destroy the idols of the nation. They would take down the high places. They, they would remove those other forms of worship that were against God and against his kingdom. And we, we have an opportunity uh, this week to, to actually celebrate Passover together. And I, I want to encourage as many of you as uh, can, can be there to to come Tuesday night to St. Andrew's Anglican Church, we're, we're going to be partnering our, our celebration with them. And I, I am able to give you uh, about a 10,000-foot overview of all the symbolism in the feasts right here on Sunday morning. But as, as we go through the actual feast of Passover, the Seder, uh, you, you will be able to see and experience the, the minute detail of the symbolism of, of that celebration. So I, I encourage you to do that. And <clears throat> so our plan is last week we looked at the Feast of Passover, this week, which, which is a three-part feast, 
if you talk to a Jewish person, they will probably either call it the Feast of Passover or they'll call it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They use those two names interchangeably to describe what is actually a three-part feast. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, all celebrated in, in order as, as the Lord gave it to Moses. And, you know, when, when you look at the symbolism of these feasts, to me, this, this is one of the most powerful reasons to, to believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. There, there is no possible way that a, a human being could have come up with this 1,400 years or 1,500 years before Jesus and, and have Jesus fulfill all of these types with with his life and his death and resurrection 1500 years later uh, it's just not possible uh, it, it had to be the Lord revealing and and speaking prophetically to his people of of what was to come so <clears throat> I wanted to answer a little bit today the question of why we're doing that, why we're we're looking at this, and so that's that's a big part of it. Uh, you could bring up that uh, that chart that's on one of the first, yeah, this this one. This this is really the reason that that we're doing this because it it gives us a grid not only for understanding the feasts of Israel but by looking at them and understanding them, it gives us a grid for understanding all of the Old Testament. That the things that happened historically, literally, in the nation of Israel were, were prophetic types or symbols of, of what would come later. And when we look historically at what God did in Israel, we observe how they actually did these things. They actually celebrated Passover. And last, last week we looked at the first Passover and how that was the initiation of, of God's people. There, there really weren't a, a people of God before the celebration of the first Passover. There, there was... Abraham's or Jacob's, Israel's extended family. That's, that's what there was. But when they obeyed God, celebrated Passover, they, they became a people of faith and they, they became the people of God. And as a result of being the people of God, they did not suffer that judgment that happened during the first Passover when the death angel came through all of Egypt and killed the firstborn of, of the family, the humans and the livestock, and there was, we know there was great pain and wailing. But then we, we take our understanding the next step and we look at how the feasts were uh, fulfilled historically, personally, in the life of Jesus he actually celebrated them as a Jewish man, but then later when the time came, when it was God's timing, he, he fulfilled all of the things that these feasts were pointing to with his life. He, he became the anti-type. He, he became what the symbols, what the types were pointing toward. He became the fulfillment with what he did, with his death, and, and today we're, we're going to look at, at just how amazing this, this is, how everything was fulfilled in Jesus at the same exact time that those same things were happening with actual little, literal Passover lambs. And then for us in the church, this, this is the important thing, that Jesus came and he fulfilled all of, of the law, and he initiated, he, he instituted the, the spiritual 
fulfillment of what had been just a natural celebration for the nation of Israel. So Jesus fulfilled it naturally, but he took it further and he instituted the spiritual because now we, God's people today, we, we are the people of God because we are new creation, because we have been born again. We've been born of the spirit and, and born of flesh. And, and that's, that's what it means to be part of God's people now. To be part of God's people in the Old Testament meant uh, if you were a man, you were circumcised. That was the, the physical sign of being in God's covenant people. But it's, for us, it's, it's a spiritual reality, not just a natural reality. And the spiritual is, is deeper. It is real, and it is eternal where the natural things are, are only for a time, and, and they have an end. And so, so Jesus fulfilled the natural that preceded the spiritual, just as Israel fulfilled in the natural what we as the church now fulfill in the spiritual. So this, it, it's, it's important for us to, to see this. And I'm, I'm just going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 quickly to show you what Paul said about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 46, I, I think I do have a slide for that. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. Adam, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And that is us. Because we have a deposit of heaven within us. We have the spirit of the living God living within us. So we are actually of the spiritual. We are of heaven. We're not just of earth. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Just as we have a physical, natural body, the time will come when we have a glorified, eternal body just like Jesus, the man from heaven. And that is something that we greatly look forward to. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This is why it's so important for us to be born again. Because... Mere flesh and blood, which is what human beings are before we are born of the Spirit, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven because it is not flesh and blood. For, for those people who, who do not find the Lord, who do not become born again, it's, they, they can't go somewhere that they are not part of. It's, it's not that God sends them to hell, it's that they don't get to go to heaven because they, they left an opportunity sitting on the table and they, they chose not to become spiritual and not to become of heaven. So that, that's an important understanding. So, yeah, when Jesus came, he fulfilled and eliminated the need for the natural, the external, the temporal. He brought in the spiritual, the internal, and the eternal. The letter of the law was swallowed up by the higher law of the Spirit. And this is what Paul says about that in Romans chapter 8. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. They, they are two laws that are still in operation. But by, by being born again, by choosing to receive the sacrifice of Jesus for us, we, we take ourselves out of the realm of the law, the natural law, and we, we place ourselves under a higher law. The law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. And, and so, so we're, we're, just, we're not even under that law, the old law, anymore. Because we're under a higher law. It's, it's amazing. So, quickly, I, I want to, before I get into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want to go through quickly some requirements of the Lord's people related to the feasts in general and then the requirements related to the Feast of Passover because it, this is important for our big picture understanding. So, the three requirements for the Lord's people. The feasts of the Lord are His appointed times and seasons with, with His meanings. He, he set this stuff up for us to benefit from. So they, they are His. And we, we come to them in, in that manner. We didn't come up with this stuff. He did. They, they are His. <clears throat> the feasts were to be celebrated in an appointed place. In the Old Testament, that was the tabernacle, then the temple. Now, when we gather together, it is the appointed place. Because when we gather together, we, we individually and collectively, we are the new temple. We are the new covenant temple. So when we come together, we, we can fulfill this in, in the way that they had to go to Jerusalem under David and Solomon to, to celebrate. And, and finally, these celebrations, they included specifically appointed observances and sacrifices. It, they had to be observed the way that God set them up. Or they wouldn't get what God wanted them to get. Now, the requirements for the Passover. All of the males were to appear before the Lord for this feast. And, and that meant that as, as the leaders of the families the spiritual leaders of the families, the men were to come before the Lord together representing all of the people. They were representing their family. They were not to come before the Lord empty-handed. They were to come to this feast with offerings. And this is one of those times of the year that... There were only a few when the people were required to bring in free will offerings. And, and this is one of those times. And, and finally, there, there was a promise of the preservation of their inheritance if they would celebrate this feast. And that points to Deuteronomy 28, all the blessings thereof of obedience to the Lord. And for us, Matthew 6.33 points to that. By seeking first the kingdom of God, all these things are given, provided for us. It's, that's the New Testament example of that promise. <coughs> Sorry. So let's look at the Feast of Unleavened Bread today. There's, 
There's a little less to go through in these two feasts, so I'm hoping I can make it through both of them today because they, they set the stage for what we will be celebrating next Sunday. Uh, and actually, if I didn't make it to First Fruits, that would be fine because that would be really appropriate next Sunday, as you will find out. So Exodus 23, starting in verse 14, this is a description of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast or a festival to me. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. And you shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord. So, <clears throat> with the coming of the Feast of Passover, which started on the evening of the 14th of this month, the month of Abib, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread started on, on the 15th. So, they're, they're actually starting at the same time. Because... A Jewish day goes evening to evening. So they started Passover on the evening of the 14th. Well, that very quickly became the 15th, which became the first day of unleavened bread. And they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread by the, the head of the house going through the whole house with the children and looking in every nook and cranny of the house to find any leaven, any yeast that was in the house. And they got rid of all of the leaven, all of the yeast that was in the house. If any leaven or any yeast was found in the house of any person in the community, they, they were no longer part of the congregation of Israel. This, this was a big deal. They, they were no longer part of the people of God. So they had to do this, and they were very serious about this. They were very diligent about this. That's how they celebrated the feast. No leaven was to be found in their house. And they were to eat unleavened bread for seven days of the feast. The number seven speaks of completeness, complete separation from all things of the world, all things that are leavened, that are sinful, in order to feed upon Christ, the one who had no sin, the one who had no leaven. That, that is what this feast is, is speaking of. There's, there's really two big things in, in this feast. Passover, we had the killing of the lamb and the application of the blood. That, that is a picture of our being born again. Now, we go right from that into unleavened bread in, in this three-part feast. So immediately upon being born again, we are to examine our life. See, this is the spiritual reality that is pointed to by the natural celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread by Israel. So for us, the spiritual reality is, is for us to to go through our entire life 
to go through our heart, to go through our house, and remove all the things that are sinful. Remove all of the things that are not according to God's kingdom. Uh, the, the way we treat each other in our house, the, some of the things that we might do, some of the things that we might watch on TV or the Internet, uh, all those things are, we're, we're to examine ourselves and we are to get rid of this stuff. And there's, there's a reason that, that the Lord has set it up in this order. We, we can't remove the stuff without first applying the blood. We, we, we can't clean up our life, our house, our everything without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to obey what the Lord shows us. And, and, and this is the life of God as one of the people of God, is, is to have the Lord shine His light in the corners of our lives and show us where there's leaven, and then, then we say, Yes, Lord, I agree, that is leaven, that, that is sin, and it must go. You've got to remove it for me. And sometimes it takes a little while for our heart to come into agreement with what God is saying. But he, he will start with us at least wanting to agree with him. And then he will go further as we do agree with him and we get, he gets us to the place where we actually want to get rid of it and it now makes us angry and sick that it's still there. He removes it. But sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's a process. But we've got to ask him to do it. So that is, is the main thing of, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It, it is getting the, the sin out of our life because the, the people of God reflect the nature and character of God and so the leaven has to be gotten rid of. Now, a few other elements of this feast that, that are important for us to see. There's there's an extra Sabbath in the week, some weeks, not all weeks, that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is celebrated. It begins on the 15th, the same, <clears throat> the same Jewish day that Passover is celebrated. The 15th is an extra Sabbath which explains <clears throat> excuse me when Jesus was crucified and it described the preparation day before the sabbath it wasn't a normal sabbath the seventh day it was the extra sabbath that was happening that week because of the feast of unleavened bread and we're going to actually see this today. So <clears throat> for us, this, this extra Sabbath in, in this week, again, it, it points to the, <clears throat> the finished work of Christ. It points to our ability to now cease from our own labors, from our own efforts to, to get to God or to do something for God, and to receive what Jesus Christ has done for us and to rest in that. Um, leaven, or unleavened bread, rather, was 
was also used in consecrating priests into their office uh, and ministry. For us, it's the turning from and removal of sin that must precede our being released into our own full destiny calling in Christ Jesus. The, the leaven's got to be removed before we can fully enter into what God has for us in, in our calling and, and destiny. And when, it, when it's when a release into our calling and destiny precedes the removal of leaven, we, we've seen lots of examples of that. Where there, there's terrible falls that, that people go through. And, and there's... I, I learned early on in, in ministry, and I'm very thankful that I learned it when I did... That there's a there's a difference between character and gifting. It's possible for someone to have huge gifting and very little character. And if they don't go through the feast of unleavened bread, they they will be uh, a source of great pain to the people of God. So we, we want to avoid that happening and do it the way that Israel did. They celebrated that Feast of Unleavened Bread and they used unleavened bread in the consecrating of, of their priests and releasing them for ministry. How does leaven work naturally? We, we need to understand that. Uh, how many bread bakers do we have here? Got a got a few, <laughs> not not so many, but some. Does it take a lot of yeast to for a loaf of bread? Yes, if it's not very strong yeast. But if it's pretty strong yeast, you don't need very much for a big loaf. Because all you got to do is work it in there and then just let it sit. And what happens? It puffs up. Kind of like sin. Sin puffs up. I, I was telling someone just in the last week or two that sin is a lot like sugar is for our bodies. And I'm not saying sugar is a sin, although that's probably arguable. Sin is something that, that feels good when, when you're doing it, but then, then you feel bad if you're really born again. You, you feel bad that you've done it and you regret it. And eating sugar, what it does in our body is a very similar thing. It, it tastes good in your mouth, but a half hour later when you crash and you have a hard time staying awake, you, you regret that you ate it in the first place because it didn't do anything good for you. It just it wreaked havoc in your system. And, and that's what sin does, which is why God wants us to get the leaven out. Now, I, I don't have time to get into uh, all the things that Jesus said about leaven, but he talked about five specific types of leaven that he warned his followers about. There was the leaven of Herod that was worldliness. There was the leaven of the Sadducees that was humanism or modernism. They, they did not believe in the supernatural. They, they said what we can see is what is and that's, that's it. And Jesus called that leaven. And there was the leaven of the Pharisees that was hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. There was the leaven of Corinth 
which was pride and, and sensuality. And finally, there was the leaven of the Galatians, and that was legalism. Coming back under the law that we're not under. Remember, we're under the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus after we've been born again. We're not under the written law anymore because we're under a higher law of God's kingdom. So, keeping the feast, let's, let's go back to 1 Corinthians for a minute. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 7. This is what Paul says about the church keeping this feast. He says, Get rid of the old leaven, that you may be a new batch without leaven, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with bread without leaven, the bread of sincerity and truth. So we, we keep this feast by operating in sincerity and truth in, in our lives, in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with God. To me, that speaks of the worshipers that the Father is seeking. John said the, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And we, Paul says, we keep this feast by living in sincerity and truth. And, and it, it's a call to a separated life. That is the life of unleavened bread. And it's interesting what, what Paul said in, in that first verse. Get rid of the old leaven that you may be a new batch without leaven as you really are. So our, our natural tendency as people who have been born again should be to do right, not to sin. Uh, if, we, if we will begin to live according to our true identity, then we will leave the leaven behind. It, because it, I mean, it's... It's kind of like the food thing again. When, when, you, when you see what, what sugar really does in your body, you, do, you don't really want it quite as much anymore. And, and when you see what, what good, healthy food that God made does in your body, you, you want more of that. And, and so, so for us, as we as we come to understand more and more of who we really are, we, we are, are less influenced by the evil one to, to go in those directions. And, and we're, we more easily stay on the path of God's kingdom. And, and that, that, should, that should be a, uh, a reality in our lives as, as we come to know the Lord more, he reveals himself more, and we become more mature in the faith, we, we are not fooled as easily to go astray. And, and so, so this is kind of what this feast is talking about, pointing toward. Uh, there were additional offerings each day of this seven-day feast, um, there were burnt offerings, two bulls, one ram, and seven lambs. Uh, the number of completeness of the, the number of lambs. And, and the burnt offering signifies 
a, a sin offering. It's an offering that's just consumed in, in the sacrifice. And then there was a goat that was a sin offering. And there were meal offerings of fine flour and oil offered with the burnt offerings. Speaking of Christ's perfect, sinless humanity. And then, finally, there were the regular daily sacrifices, morning and evening lamb for a burnt offering, and the meal and drink offering that speaks to us of the Lord's Supper. The, the meal and the drink offering speaks to us of, of Christ's body and, and blood. So Israel could only approach God through a blood atonement. That is also the only way that we can approach God is through the blood, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. God set up the rules. He accepted Israel as they observed these sacrifices in the manner that he ordained, he accepts us through the perfect and complete sacrifice of Christ Jesus on our behalf as we apply the blood to ourselves. And finally, part three of this feast, and this, this is the feast of first fruits. Described best in Leviticus 23, starting in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain that you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hen of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day that you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So they were to bring the first sheaf of ripe grain, usually probably barley or wheat sometimes, uh, to the priest so he could wave it before the Lord as an offering. They were recognizing the Lord's provision for them with, with this offering. But also notice how this celebration included the unleavened bread and the wine as, as part of the offering that again points to the Lord's Supper for us. So the sheaf in, in Scripture usually points to a, a person. And the single sheaf presented to the Lord on this day represented the Lord Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the sheaf of first fruits. Um, if you remember the dream that Joseph had about the sheaves of grain bowing down to his, you know, those, those were people in, in his dream. So this sheaf of first fruits is, is Jesus. He, he is the first fruit. And he is, for us, the first fruit of the resurrected ones. And, and this is Paul's 
interpretation of this feast for us. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So the first fruits that Jesus is for us, he, he points toward our ultimate fulfillment as, as the church that will be us getting our new bodies, our resurrected bodies that will last forever. This, this is, is this amazing stuff? Am I the only one who thinks this? That, this is really unbelievable. Uh, all of the prophecy that are in, involved in, in these, these feasts. Now, now bring up the table, probably the next slide. This, this is for our understanding of what actually takes place this week. On the Sabbath day, on the 10th, Jesus enters Jerusalem. This, that is Palm Sunday. You know, he, he comes into Jerusalem on the donkey, and the people are putting palm branches before the donkey so it doesn't even have to step on the dirt. Uh, and everyone is saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, the same people who will, a few days later, say, give us Barabbas instead and crucify this person. Same, same people. So remember, we talked about last week how the lamb comes in and it's kept for four days. Jesus came into Jerusalem. He stayed for four days. And then on Wednesday... We, that is the Passover sacrifice day. That is the 14th. That is the evening that all the lambs were killed. The 15th Thursday, remember, is, is the extra Sabbath. That is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the extra Sabbath. Jesus was crucified on the 14th, the same time they were killing the Passover lambs for their Passover meal on the 14th. His blood was being applied. He was being the door. One of the I am statements in the book of John. Jesus said, I am, some translations say gate, but a better translation and some use, actually use the word door. Because the blood was to be applied to the sides and the top of the door. And it was. As they were doing the observance of, of the physical Passover, Jesus was being crucified. This is the only way that makes sense that it happened that fulfills everything that Jesus said, that he would be in the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus wasn't killed on, on Thursday. It happened on Wednesday, and he was in the earth for one two, three days, and on the morrow of the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, 
he rose again. On the day that the priest was, was taking the sheaf of the first fruit offering and waving it in the temple where the curtain had been ripped from top to bottom already, Jesus was appearing. He, he was the wave offering before the Lord, before the Father. Uh, it's, it's just, it's amazing, yeah. And what, what does the, the first sheaf mean for, for us as, as the people of God? We, we are to maintain our, our first love. And remember these things in light of what we have just studied in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We maintain our first love. We maintain our first works. And we, we keep hold of, of our first and holy faith. That, that Jesus is all. That he, he completed it all. He, he completed all of Passover. He, he fulfilled all of unleavened bread. He was the literal and complete fulfillment of first fruits, being the first one to be resurrected from the dead. And, the, and then there's, there's even that amazing few words that, that Matthew mentions and nobody else even dares to talk about it. And theologians don't even want to talk about it. When Matthew said, and, and there were others who were raised from the dead along with Jesus. And, and nobody really wants to talk about that. Nobody knows what happened to those people. There, there, there was so much power that came down from heaven. This is what I think. And, and it hit Jesus and, and raised him from the dead, but, but there was extra like ricochets that went and it hit some people who were dead in the grave and, and they woke up and they said, whoa, what was that? I'm alive. Because <laughs> they were, see, it was, it was a sheaf. A sheaf isn't one stock. Together, they, they were that first, that wave offering. Wow. <laughs> there, there's just so much here. I mean, Wow. Yeah, this, this, is, this is what Matthew said in Matthew 27. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Wow. So we 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 need to understand the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of Passover, this whole three-part feast because this this is the foundation. This this is the beginning of of our faith. This this is how we become the people of God. We, we see 
we understand, we receive the sacrifice of Jesus, our Passover lamb, who takes away the sins of the world, and we apply his blood to our lives. And we, we observe unleavened bread. We, we allow the Lord to look at our lives. And we allow him to point out things that must go. And then he gives us the power for them to go. And, and, and that's a continuous thing, but, but for, for this week, see, there are some, some different streams of, of the Christian faith have different observances for, for this, this time. And, and some, some people, they, they fast certain things or they, they give up certain things for, for this, this season. And, and, and those, those observances are, are kind of types pointing toward what the Lord really wants. He, he doesn't want us to give up meat or chocolate. He, he wants us to get rid of the leaven. so that we can be fully promoted and released into our calling and our destiny. So, for, for us to truly enter into our faith, to, for us to truly enter into being the people of God, we, we must understand and, and observe spiritually all of the feasts and if we will observe and honor what what the lord has has given us uh, i am totally convinced that, that he is going to release more blessing and, and release more of his kingdom. And, and we are going to have a day on Pentecost Sunday that's coming up in eight weeks where people are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If, if you have not been filled with the Holy Spirit... You want to be here on Pentecost Sunday. Because we're, we're going to learn what, what that feast is all about. And then we're going to ask God to do what he said. <laughs> Just wait, he's going to do it. I think I'm done. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great wisdom. I thank you that it's the glory of God to hide a matter. And it's the glory of a king to search it out. And I thank you for the kings who have sought out the richness of what is in your feasts. And Lord, right now, if there's anyone here who has not been born again, who's not been through Passover, I pray you draw them into your kingdom right now. May they not leave still an old creation. 
And I pray, Father, that you would shine your, your searching light into our hearts and our lives and point out the leaven and then remove it. Bring us into agreement with you. Bring us into desire along with you that you remove the leaven. So Lord, we want to be prepared and released into our, our full calling and destiny in your kingdom, individually and corporately. Jesus, thank you for being the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for what you suffered, for the, the bitterness of your suffering for us. Lord, strengthen us Encourage us. Strengthen and encourage those who aren't, aren't here today. And Lord, we look forward to celebrating next Sunday your resurrection. Amen. Okay, well, everyone have a blessed day. And think about the feasts this week.